0: Okay, so our series here, this next series that we're, uh, that we're starting now, so is going to be something which is, uh, I've been playing with in my mind for, uh, for a while now, a uh, number of uh, months, if not a number of years, and that is to sort of compile um, a collection of what I think are some of the most essential pieces in terms of Jewish philosophy, Jewish hashkafe, Hashkaf, Jewish musr, those types of things which uh, you know, by and large have the potential to shape a person's thinking, hopefully give them a perspective which is going to be uh, uh, impactful, something which is going to be uh, motivating and something which is going to help clarify some of the, uh, the fundamental philosophical issues and psychological issues uh, that uh, that, uh, that one has in, uh, in Yiddishkeit, that one has in, uh, in Judaism. And I've tried a couple of times, uh, certainly over this past year, to try and solicit and get other abundant to go ahead and uh, participate and to also uh, help me make a list of pieces or articles, essays, which they think are particularly important for uh, that, they, uh, turn, that they turn to and that they rely upon and that much of their thought and their perspective is, is based on. But uh, sadly, it's been uh, it's been unsuccessful at at, at doing so. And uh, I'm left with uh, with my own list, which I don't think is such a bad list. But I'm left I'm left with uh, with my own list as far as this is this is concerned. So I think what we're going we're going to try and do is we're going to try and go through. I don't think we're going to try and read everything inside. I think that that will take uh, you know uh, that may take too long in terms of presenting the ideas, and it will uh, it will slow us down but to present, um, to see, to talk about the ideas based on these, uh, these essays, based on these uh, and whatnot, and at the various times when there's a particularly important idea to read inside, I think the, the author captured it particularly well in, uh, in his article, so uh, to go ahead and then read, you know, bits and pieces here, here or there. Okay, so what I thought we would do, uh, I don't know if it's the, the easy way to, uh, to begin, what I thought we would begin with is one of the classic pieces from the Mikht of Melio, of Melio Dessler, uh, about Bechira. So he has what was uh, what is considered to be a, an incredibly fundamental and important piece about the nature of bechira, what exactly bechira involves and does involve when we talk about free choice. So how free is the choice which we make? How broad is our potential for uh, for bechira Chavshis? or how narrow is our uh, our bechira khafshis? And in the introduction to the piece. Uh, in the sefer itself so they actually say that this is something that the, that Rav Dessler made a conscious decision that he was going to go ahead and research and think about and contemplate and then organize his thoughts and present it in a series of uh, a series of lectures so fortunately for us his talmidim who we'll actually put out the uh, the Miflar who we'll, we'll actually put out his farm so they went ahead and they uh, compiled it they wrote it up for uh, for us to be able to uh, to uh, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, to, to be able to read, to be able to study. And he actually has a, a, a number of uh, two different, at least two different halakim, two different uh, sections where he explores the different aspects of Bechira, of, of free choice. So what we're going to do, at least I do don't, this, I don't want to do all of it at once, because it could get uh, perhaps uh, too heavy and go on for too long a period of time. So we'll do uh, part one, we'll do his Chelek Aleph now. We'll see some other pieces along the way. And then at some point, we'll, come, we'll swing back around, and then we'll get his Chelek base. We'll get the second part of his, uh, of his approach to uh, the Bechira. But for now, uh, I just want to get uh, in touch upon uh, the uh, the, uh, the the first part of what he uh, what, what what he says with the with bechira. So he begins with now. Now it's an interesting thing um, because the muscle that he that he uses to begin the uh, the discussion about to frame what exactly the challenge of understanding bechira. So he uses something which is addiction based. He actually, as, we, as we'll see. Uh, he actually talks about uh, somebody who's trying to quit smoking, who would like to quit smoking, but finds it to, uh, to be a challenge, as, as we will see. So it's interesting to, uh, to think about how he perceives. I'm not sure if he was aware of the concept of addiction, what exactly that, uh, that means, the way it's perceived now and the way that it's treated nowadays. But nonetheless, even if we take it out of that context and we say that addiction is something is something different, uh, his muscle is just a muscle, and certainly it will apply to uh, to different uh, behaviors as, as well certainly, even those things which are uh, you know have they don't have a a physical addiction component to them. But in addition to the physical uh, component, so there are many things which, uh, you know, depending on who, which addiction ex- uh, expert you're going, to, uh, you're going to listen to or you're going to follow, but many of them have a very broad definition of addiction, which doesn't necessarily have a physical component in terms of like withdrawals and whatnot, in the event that a person doesn't continue to use, but they see it as an addictive behavior in terms of a behavior which one feels compelled to do, even though they know that there's a negative consequence to this particular behavior. So despite their awareness of the uh, the negative consequence of the behavior, so they find themselves struggling, if not completely incapable of stopping that uh, that behavior. So that's why you could have shopping addictions, you could have gambling addictions, you could have uh, sex addictions, you could have all sorts of different types of, uh, of addictions. As I said, even though it doesn't have that uh, that physical component of the uh, the withdrawal symptoms, which would make it even harder for a person to go ahead and stop. Okay, but he says he begins with uh, with, with with the following uh, muscle. To, what, is the uh, between, what is the difference between what is the difference? between an addiction and a habit? I mean, davening is a habit, right? So so the the, the, the person that I I follow on these things is a is a doctor named Gabor Mate. That's the name. It happens to be a Hungarian Jew. Was born just before the uh, the holiday. Was a baby when the uh, the Nazis uh, entered into into Hungary. Um, but he says that what, what I said before is what the, is his definition that it's it's any behavior which a person uh, uh, feels compelled to do, despite his awareness of the negative consequences. So davening every day, hopefully, doesn't have negative consequences. Hopefully, that has positive consequences. So that would not meet his criteria of something of, uh, which, is a, which is an addiction. So that would be a habit and potentially a good habit, but many bad habits. So sometimes there's no negative consequence. A person bites their nails. So if a person bites their nails or they pick at their nails, so it's a habit. You know, There's nothing, uh, you know, in all likelihood, it's not going to lead to anything which is negative. They're not hiding from family members as they're picking or they're biting their nails. They're not doing any of those, any of those things. So it's lacking that component of the negative uh, consequence of that habit, which would take it out of habit and put it into addiction. Yeah? Okay. So, so he, uses, he uses the example of somebody who is a, a, a smoker. Somebody who is a heavy smoker... And they've been a heavy smoker for a number of years. And by the end of the day, after smoking a pack, a pack and a half, whatever their, uh, their habit happens to be. So at the end of the day, they're coughing and they're wheezing and their chest hurts and they're having a hard time breathing. So what does any smoker who's reached that level of, uh, of, of smoking where by the end of the day, they're coughing, they're wheezing, their chest hurts because of the, the smoking, they're aware of what's doing it. So uh, every night, the smoker says, you know what? This is killing me. I really got to stop. I got to stop smoking. I'm going to quit. Like I just mentioned the Joshua this past week, you know, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it hundreds of times. So the person says, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to go ahead and I'm not going to smoke anymore whatsoever. And he goes to sleep with that commitment saying to himself, I realize that smoking is is hurting me. It's damaging my, my health. It's making it difficult to breathe. I'm not smoking anymore. So he made a wonderful commitment to change his habit, to change his behavior. Then what happens when he gets up in the morning, gets up in the morning, when he initially gets up, he says, wow, I'm feeling great. I haven't smoked in six hours, and I've never felt uh, better in my, in my life. And then he begins his day. Let's say he goes to Dafyomi, he finishes Shacharis, and by the time he finishes Shacharis, he's been awake long enough that the urge to smoke now returns. Maybe even begin withdrawal symptoms, uh, minor withdrawal symptoms at that point. And it's just part of the habit which he does. He has it with his coffee. He has it when he's driving. Whatever his habit is, which triggers him to go ahead and feel the urge to smoke. So he hasn't changed those parts of his behavior. And all of a sudden, he feels a strong urge. And uh, uh, he says, so after a certain time, he says to himself, you know what? I'm really quitting smoking. But if I have one cigarette, one cigarette isn't going to kill me. So he goes ahead and he says to himself, you know what, I'm just going to have, I still have leftover in the pack anyways. I might as well go ahead and smoke the cigarette, which is still in the pack anyways. And he says, <inaudible> I'll smoke just one cigarette. <inaudible> because no doubt, if I have one cigarette and that's all I have for the entire day, my chest isn't going to hurt by the end of the day. So this one cigarette is not going to be so bad. And therefore, what does he do? He rationalizes in his own head, you know what, I could go ahead and I could smoke, because this one's not going to kill me. And then two hours later, what's going through his head again? He's still thinking, I'm really not a smoker anymore, because I quit last night. But if I have another cigarette at lunchtime, one cigarette at lunchtime is certainly not going to go ahead and do anything which is, uh, which is harmful. It's not going to kill me. And he goes ahead and he has a second cigarette. And then, once he's had the second cigarette, he says to himself, you know what, maybe today is not a good day to go ahead and quit smoking. And by the end of the day, he smoked his regular pack and a half anyways. So he goes through this this cycle where every night he's in pain, and he knows that he should stop, and he wants to stop. And then every morning and afternoon and evening, he finds himself smoking again and again and again. So what is going on? So as he says, even though he knows, After having quit, quote unquote, hundreds of times, he knows perfectly well that every time he quits, as soon as he has that first cigarette, so then he just falls, it becomes a slippery slope, and next thing he knows, he's made his way through a pack and a half of cigarettes. Every day he deceives himself once again, and he wakes up in the morning and he says, I'm going to quit smoking today. But I'm just going to have one more cigarette, one more cigarette, the final cigarette before I go ahead and I and I quit. And then he just keeps doing it again and again and again. And the question is, what's getting in the way of him being able to exercise his bechira, which he knows, which he wants to be to be true? Because he really does want want to stop smoking. He understands its danger. He's feeling the dangerous effects of the smoking, and then he just can't get himself to uh, to stop. So he said. Uh, and he also says R- 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 says that undoubtedly if he were to go ahead and if you were to ask him at any given time the benefit of a cigarette versus the damage which the cigarette the cigarette smoking is doing to his health which one is going to win out 10 times out of 10, he would tell you intellectually, absolutely have to stop. I have to quit smoking. I can't continue to smoke because it's, it, it's killing me. So even though he has this intellectual awareness of what he needs to do, there's this huge gap which exists in between what he knows he should do and what he can actually get himself to do. And that's the, uh, the gap. So he says, actually, now we'll go ahead and we'll put up, pull up part of what we want to see here. So here he says, it's on the screen there in front of you? Yeah, sure. on your glasses. So here we are by where the hand is right now. It says, So now this leads us to the fundamental question, and that is, What leads this fella to keep grabbing hold of, to keep grasping this mistaken notion that if I, if I have just one cigarette today, it's not going to be so bad? He's done that hundreds of times. He knows perfectly well that one equals a pack and a half. So, what leads him every day to go ahead and deceive himself into thinking that he could get away with just one? And he doesn't follow what he knows to be true that quitting means absolutely you have to come to a stop and you can't have any, none whatsoever. What, what's the impediment which gets in the way of him being able to act based on that? Does he actually want to smoke at this point? Absolutely not. His awareness and his desire not to experience pain in difficulty in breathing and the tightness in his chest at the end of the day, that certainly is something which is a much stronger motivation for him. It's a much stronger factor. And yet he finds himself in a sense powerless to be able to stop. So what, what's the issue? So he says, this is what's, a, what's clear. He says, From this we learn, this we see, this mushal, which we are presenting, That a person could have a clear awareness of what's the truth, and yet he creates a Hesach He sort of pushes that out of his mind, what he knows intellectually to be true, and ignores that. And instead, he grasps something which is um, uh, 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 his imagination, something which is deceptive, something which has no basis in reality, and he grabs hold of that, and that becomes the guidance for his ultimate behavior. So his behavior isn't dictated by what he knows to be true. He actually has to push aside what he knows to be true, and instead he goes ahead and focuses and grasps hold of something which is completely deceptive, which he knows is deceptive, it's dimyon, it's imaginative, and he says, and it covers up, it's sheker. Um, He says, he on the one hand wants to smoke, on the other hand, he doesn't want the ill effects of smoking, so he has these two desires in front of him, v'hu belibo mis'alem mina echad, and when he goes ahead and opens up the next pack and pulls out a cigarette, what he does is he ignores one of the truths. And he just goes ahead and he grasps hold of this imagination, this dimion, this thing which is, uh, which is not true. And now he says, this is something which is amazing. He says, me um, Now, who is causing him to go ahead and ignore truth? And follow this falsehood, follow this uh, this uh, this imagination, this um, um, uh, this mirage. It's actually like a mirage, but this uh, this falsehood. So he says, "Lo haretzonos <laughs> el adam hu hagorm laatzmo." So he says, "Reb Dessler says you cannot blame this on his rutzon." this is not a matter of what his will is, because we know what his will is. He would love to be able to stop. That's ultimately what he wants. So it's not this outside factor. This is where the addiction thing may be a little bit uh, different. But he says, this is not uh, something which is his will, but rather the person himself is responsible for his choices. In what sense? He could say to himself, what am I going to gain by following this falsehood? Thinking that I could have just one cigarette and that doesn't mean that i 'm a smoker for him it doesn 't work after twenty years of smoking I have one cigarette does not uh, mean that he's still smoking Hello im reality doesn't match with my imagination with my deceptive uh, imagination over here so why do I keep following this deceptive uh, reality this detached from reality perspective that he can smoke one cigarette and that's not going to trigger him into smoking an entire pack and a half when he's had so much experience and he keeps doing it. And he knows perfectly well when he has as soon as he takes a puff on that first cigarette, after he quit last night, he knows perfectly well that by the end of today, I'll have gone through another pack and a half and it's going to, my chest is going to be hurting again. So he knows, So if he could just remember that, keep that in mind, the negative consequence of what he's going to, what's going to happen in the event that he gives in to this temptation, and he goes out and smokes, so then he would be able to prevail. But it's not a matter of Ratsum. He says, He says that the person is going to be, is a person responsible for himself, and he says, we're going to skip a few lines, he says, A person has two choices. Whenever there's a behavior which a person uh, doesn't want to do, and finds himself in a certain sense compelled to do, so the person always has two choices. A person can say, I'm going to keep my focus on the truth. The truth is, is that if I smoke one more cigarette, that means that for the day, I'm going to end up smoking a pack and a half and it's no good and I can't even have one. If I break my diet, if I have one piece of chocolate cake, I'm going to eat the entire chocolate cake. If I have one more drink, I'm going to drink the entire bottle. So whatever it is, whatever it's going to be, the person knows perfectly well that if they give in, that means that they're going to lose everything. So if they could go ahead and grasp the truth and realize how dangerous or how bad it is how bad this behavior is for them and the negative consequences which they keep facing when they uh, when they indulge like that undoubtedly they'd be able to restrain themselves and they wouldn't be able to uh, they wouldn't give in and he says it'll be able to abandon all of the imaginative benefits which pile up which the uh, the, the the brain rationalizes why it's okay and in this circumstance you can have this one you can have that one it was a particularly hard day at work, it was a particularly hard day getting the kids ready for school, it was a particular, whatever the rationalization is, but one rationalization after the other will pile up until the person finally gives in to that dymion, to that imagination, and thinks that it's going to be okay. But on the other hand, <laughs> a person could also go ahead and decide, you know what, I'm not going to keep my focus on truth, I'm going to go ahead and keep my, I'm going to allow the dimyon, I'm going to allow my deceptive imagination to go ahead and dictate my behavior and to guide how exactly I'm going to act. And I'm going to supplant what I know to be true with these lies that I can actually get away with. And then, And then by doing so, so you distance yourself from the truth from the rut zone, the ultimate rut zone that the person has to quit smoking, and the uh, the truth which goes with it, which is the awareness that one more cigarette means that I'm going to end up smoking a pack and a half, and at the end of the day, I'm going to be in the same pain that I was uh, last night when I made the decision to quit. So he says, says Rav Dassler, That's the last line of the paragraph. So if dessler said, ding, 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 we've now reached a working definition of what exactly Bechira Havshis is. He didn't use the term Havshis yet, but Bechira is. So we talk about what exactly is Bechira. So bahira, Rav says, is not simply when I have a choice between two things. He gets a chassan and they say to me, do you want beef or do you want fish? Well, technically, that's a choice, but everybody here knows that for me, it's not really a choice because there's no way I'm ever going to take the, uh, the fish. So for me, there wasn't a choice. It was going to be meat all along. That was done a hundred times out of a hundred. That will always, uh, that, that, that will be true. So Bechira doesn't simply mean that there's two options on the menu and you're choosing one over the other. Uh, Rav Desser says real Bechira, when we talk about Uh, uh, the Jewish perspective on free choice and the ability to choose, what he says is it's a struggle which is taking place inside of a person's mind that either I can follow the root of MS and I can do what I know is the correct thing to do and what I know is the proper thing to do and I know is going to be the healthy thing to do and what's going to serve me well in the long run, or I could go ahead and I could um, give in to my temptations and my urges in my yearnings, in in doing so, I push aside what I know to be true and what I know I should avoid, and I go ahead and I indulge, and I go ahead and do so. Everybody, I'm sure, has had that experience where you're at some uh, you know a fancy restaurant or a dinner or something like that, and as you're eating, you're saying to yourself, "This is gonna this is gonna cause me so much pain tonight. I'm gonna have such heartburn. I'm gonna have such a stomachache. I'm gonna have such a whatever it's going to be." We know perfectly well the consequence which we're going to face when we go ahead and indulge. And yet we decide that it's worthwhile. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to push aside what I know I should do in favor of something which I want to do. And that we're actually going to see in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, an idea where, where Rav Dessler is going to quote that from, uh, from Rav, Rav Yerucham, Yerucham Levavitz. But he says, the essence of Bechira is the choice between following that which is MS versus following that which is dimion, that which is a deceptive imagination, the, uh, the corrupt perspective, the mirage of what would seem to be, te- uh, the, the te- of what benefits the temptation has, even though I know perfectly well that this is not going to serve me well. And now he says that, um, he says, um, now he goes on to say, he says that this ability to choose between that which is MS and that which is dimyo, that which is this imagination. So he says it, it, it exists completely within the person himself. Outside factors don't really play a role as far as that is. It's an internal intellectual struggle which we face. So you could say it's a struggle between the mind and the body sometimes, but it's a struggle which takes place inside of us. And he says that it's well known Anybody who has faced his Yeats Sahara, has stared down his Yeatszahara and succeeded, was able to overcome temptation even just once. So he says, when a person goes ahead and does so, he says, in the third line here he says, "When a person successfully conquers his Yeits Sahara, not a complete conquest, but even you overcome it once. shemargish birer Bilvavo person experiences a clarity in his mind and his heart, that he himself has now reached a state of clarity where he's no longer fooling himself. And this is something that I think you speak to, uh, you know, or you listen to, to addicts uh, talking about the recovering addicts, talk about their their circumstance. So they say that they they almost all will acknowledge that when I was still using, whatever it was that they were using, so I would fool myself and I would deceive myself and I would trick myself into rationalizing why I could go ahead and I could continue that behavior. Now that I'm no longer indulging and I've been able to break free of that particular addiction, now I have a much greater, greater clarity as far as my thinking, my life, the circumstances, and it, they become when they look back in the past, they become surprised that they were able to succumb for such a long period of time to what they were experiencing, because all that time they were living in a world of sheker, they were li- living in a world of a lie, in a world of dimyon, something which doesn't really exist, and now that they've broken free, and at this point they can now go ahead and grasp. The, a true perspective of what things are for in reality, and that's something which is empowering to them, knowing that they're able to now go ahead and live their lives according to principles of MS, according to what, what they know to be true, and not continuing to deceive themselves to indulge in whatever their uh, their, uh, their their behavior was. So he says, Avomishhalo izgabra al but if you have a person who's never conquered his Sahara Sahara, gives in to every temptation time after time after time, <speaking in Hebrew> such a person cannot understand or grasp this idea at all. <speaking in Hebrew> Says because this person's experience is every time the opportunity to, uh, to use, to drink, to smoke, to take drugs, to uh, whatever it happens to be, every time that urge arose, so, he says, So every time, the yearning and the urge overwhelmed him, and he was never able to escape. So essentially, that person was living in, the, in this alternative universe. They were not living in the world of MS. They were living in the world of Dimion, deceiving themselves all along. And such a person, he says, can't really understand what exa- what, what the the elements of Bihira are because they've never actually experienced what it means to focus your attention like a laser on that which is true and not get distracted by the dimyonos which are trying to, uh, which are sort of whispering. They're sitting on your shoulders and they're whispering in your ears. So go ahead. Just one more cigarette isn't going to kill you. Just one more drink isn't going to kill you. Just one more piece of chocolate cake isn't going to kill you. All of those things. So he says, that "This is what the, the this is essentially what happens." And now, in this last paragraph on the page over here, so he says he summarizes it very well, and you're going to see that he makes this a very powerful, powerful uh, concept. I think a very powerful, incredibly powerful concept. And he says, "Nimtenu lemadeim." So what we learn over here is, "Kitochen He says that the essence of being able to make good choices, of a good Bechira, exercising good Bechira, is to be able to see the unifying factor of truth, meaning not to get distracted by the dimim, by the imagination, which is seeking to tempt you and seeking to draw you away from truth, where you have to lie about things in order to be able to rationalize one's behavior. But the essence of Bechira is to remain focused, laser focused on the truth. And to remind yourself that there, nothing actually exists in the universe other than truth. And if you're going ahead and you're grasping at this mirage, what seems to be something which exists, but it doesn't actually exist, so you're going to grab it and you end up with nothing in your hands. So there's nothing to go ahead and, uh, and, and grab. It's a, it's a hologram. So he says that people who are constantly indulging, they're living in this holographic world where things look as if they're real, but when you actually approach them and you actually try and interact with them and you actually try and touch them or whatever, so you realize that there's no substance to them whatsoever. That's the world of Dimion of a person who does not use his free choice, does not exercise his free choice proper, properly. And he says, V'zeh uh, hakoch shel hakaras in grabbing hold, keeping your focus on that which is MS. So this comes from a recognition of the creator, recognizing that the creator and the symbol of the creator of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is MS. So if you keep your focus on God and what he represents in terms of MS. So then that's going to keep a person choosing correctly. They're choosing things based on reality, rather than a hologram, which may appear to be something which is real and something which is tangible. But as you get closer and you try and grab it, you realize that it's completely empty and that there's nothing there. But on the other hand, when we talk about choosing something which is bad, somebody who does not exercise good choice, he shemav gam es he says what that person does is that person perceives the hologram as if it's something which is real so there it's like virtual reality they're living in a virtual reality world which is only virtually a world it doesn't actually reflect the laws of physics and the laws of chemistry and the laws of biology of the world which we actually live in so a person is living in this imaginative world and that's what what guides them, so they're not living in the reality with the rest of us, they're living in this alternative uh, uh, virtual uh, universe and he says and he says that perception, somebody who becomes uh, involved in this virtual reality world which is based on lies, which is based on demyodos, which is based on imagination. So this person, the logical consequence, the logical step, next step that the person is going to go to is to say that there's actually two creators. There's actually two deities which exist. Back in the day when there'd be the good God versus the bad God, the Zoroastrianists and, and, and whatnot. But this is the world that the person lives in, that there's one element of the world which is based on MS, which is based on reality. And then there's another part of them which lives in this virtual reality world, which has not, which doesn't represent anything, which is tangible of real. But the person leads these lives and lives lives his life in accordance with uh, with his, uh, in, you know, in his in, in his imagination. In this, he says, choosing the sheker route rather than the ms route. So says of Dasso, and this is what's so powerful. He says, Amr Chazal, the Gemara in Shabbos says." So what exactly is a foreign god, which exists inside of a person? How does the person go ahead and get a foreign god inside of them? So it has nothing to do with taking a Buddha doll and going ahead and swallowing it or something like that. But the way you go ahead and you get a foreign god inside of you is, Haviomer So the Gemara says that that refers to the Sahara. So this is, this I find to be incredibly powerful, what he's saying over here, which is that the Yitzhahara's job is to go ahead and detach you from reality, and to put you into a virtual reality existence, rather than actual reality. Actual reality is something which reflects Torah and Torah principles. Virtual reality existence is something which is devoid of Torah and Torah values. So in the Sahara succeeds at getting you to indulge and in getting you to live in this virtual reality world rather than an actual reality world. So essentially what that is, is that is a form of Avotah That's an Avotah that's a foreign God which lives inside of you because you're not living in God's universe because God's universe reflects only Emes, can only reflect that which is true. This foreign existence means that you're somewhere else but not in the, not in the universe with god so he must be under the control of some other deity furthermore he says rambu yushami the yushami says echoing the same idea somebody who listens and is attentive to his yetsahara kilo oveta so that becomes akin to the worship of idolatry so that's this same idea that idolatry over here is really going to be is a, is a code term which Chazal used for living in an alternative universe, a virtual reality, which is not the uh, the reality of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation. And therefore, somebody who gives into the the Sahara and lives in the world of Sheker rather than in the world of truth, so that is the ultimate of Avodah because you're not part of God's universe anymore. And he says, V'afil ra daka. And he says this is going to be true even when we talk about giving into the Eitzahara, which is a very subtle form of the Ait Zahara. Shalad marishon. as we move on to the next page over here. He says, like the sin of eating the Aitzadas, which was done by Adam Arisham. And he has a whole explanation about how to understand that that sin. But he says the main thing is Dima Asher Dima Shamai. So that's says that when, when Adam HaRishon went ahead and ate from the Eitz HaDas, he didn't say to himself, I know God said this is Aser, and I'm doing it anyways. Adam was not at a level where he's going to intentionally violate God. He had one command, right? There was one mitzvah which Adam HaRishon had, or one losase which he had, and that was, don't eat from the Eitz HaDas. So there's no way Adam HaRishon, the creation of God's hands, Keviyochah themselves, there's no way that the, the actual creation of God is going to go ahead and knowingly and intentionally ignore God's losas, ignore God's uh, prohibition against eating from the tree. There's no way Adam Rishon would go ahead and, uh, and do that. So what did Adam Rishon do in order to be able to eat from the Eitz Hadas? The only way Adam Rishon could get himself to eat from the Eitz Hadas was he had to rationalize why it was a mitzvah to do so. I know God said not to do so, but he entered, he left the world of reality temporarily. He went into the world of Dimionos, he went into the world of Sheker, and he was able to rationalize why not only is it allowed for him to eat from the Yitzhadas, but it may even be a mitzvah for him to eat the Eitzadas. And that's the same rationalization that, that Rav Desu was talking about before in terms of the addict, in terms of the person who is indulging in something which he knows he shouldn't do, but the only way the person in their, in their brain, the only way the person in their mind could get themselves to do something which they know on one level they should not do, is you have to be able to come up with a rationalization. And that rationalization, Rav Desu says, is ultimately rooted in sheker, it's rooted in an alternative universe, an alternative reality, a virtual reality, which does not reflect true reality. And that's how somebody could go ahead and transform something which on one level they know is bad, and they can transform that into a mitzvah and something which they should pursue. And Rav dessler says that every time a person is going to choose bad, so that's what's taking place inside of their mind. But they have to, in order to be able to choose bad, what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to reject true existence, true MS in terms of reality, and you need to go ahead, and you need to go ahead and adopt, and you need to enter into this virtual reality world, where things appear to be true, but they're actually not. So that's how he understands the and the rationalization, which he had to go through as well, in order to be able to get himself to eat from the Eitz Adas, even though he was very clear, 100% clear, that God said not to do it. But he says, nonetheless, but now he says, so, Kiyadu, says, it's well known that, that, that he needs to rationalize. And here it's an incredibly powerful thing, which you say, and that is, he says, nonetheless, Chazal say, even with regards to this rub, the, the, the choice which Adam HaRishon did, so we look at it, when we, when we read the story superficially, that Adam HaRishon, he didn't listen to God, he went ahead and he ate from the tree, which he wasn't supposed to do, and no, no, it was an Aveira, which he did, and he paid for the, uh, the transgression, he paid for that Aveira. Chazal say, it wasn't just an Aveira. Adam HaRishon, Apikoros Haya. So Chazal say that Amarishon was an Apikoros, how could that be that Adam Rishon was an Apichorus? Nobody else existed in the world other than him and Chava at that point. And he was just created by God a couple of hours ago, maybe even a, an hour ago. It was shortly that he went ahead and he, he, uh, he was created by God himself. So there could not have been any doubt whatsoever in Adam Rishon's mind that there exists a creator. And it was the creator who brought him into existence. So how could it possibly be that Adam Rishon would be characterized by Chazal as an Apichorus? Doesn't make any sense. So Bessler says that the reason why it makes sense and the reason why it's an appropriate description or characterization of Adam Arishon is based on what he's been saying in terms of understanding the nature of Bechira. And the nature of Bechira is always going to be this battle, and we'll see next week, we'll, we'll, we'll see this terminology, he's going to use it uh, much more, but it's always going to be this battle which exists between Truth and justice for all, but between truth on the one hand, living in God's reality, God's Torah reality, versus somebody who's going to enter into a virtual reality world where the, the MS of Torah and the MS of a Baruch Hu is not reflected and does not appear in that, uh, in that virtual reality world. And when a person goes ahead and makes the decision that I'm going to go into the virtual world and I'm going to exit the MS world, the actual world of HaKadosh So what's going to happen over there is that's essentially epic because you're abandoning God. You're saying God does not exist over here. God cannot enter into my virtual reality world. I'm going elsewhere and leaving behind God and what God represents in terms of emas. So this is the nature of Bechira. This is the way Rev. Deser understands what bad Bechira is going to involve, that internal struggle that a person has that despite the fact that they know what they should do, they find themselves struggling to actually carry that out and actually uh, actually do it. And it's not something which is necessarily limited to his example and the example that we were discussing in terms of smoking or drinking or taking drugs or any or any of those things but it really is a reflection of many of the behaviors which we have many times when we interact with others it's even been so we know that there are certain things that you shouldn't say get into a discussion with somebody you say to yourself don't say it don't say it don't say it don't say it and then the next thing you know you went ahead and you said it. So what went ahead and uh, led you to go ahead and say what you know you should not be saying? So that's the same struggle of Dasso says, is that you had a certain perception of MS, which existed on one side of your brain. And then you have the dimionos, you have the imagination, you have the virtual reality, which is stru- which is pulling you a- on the other side of your brain. And these two things are at odds with one another. What makes it even more difficult to be able to manage, to be able to choose correctly, which he didn't talk about here as of yet, but generally what happens is, is that the bad choices provide you with pleasure immediately. Good choices are something you have to be, uh, Yeah, it's delayed gratification. You have to be able to push aside your needs and wants for now, for a greater good, which is going to be later on. And that's something which is, uh, could, uh, could be a very serious struggle, which people go through. And as we're going to see, everybody goes through that struggle on one level at another, but the particular level where you're struggling at is really irrelevant, because there's this universal point at which everybody faces this choice between truth on the one hand, virtual reality on the other hand, God on one hand, not god on the other hand and that becomes the essence of every element of bhikhira which a person is going to which a person is going to uh, to uh, to face and that the the universal struggle which we have beginning already with atamarishon was to go ahead and manage between actual reality ms reality versus virtual reality and uh so i think we're going to hold it over here for uh, for this week so next week we will Pick it up as he begins the second chapter of this first piece, the first essay he has on uh, on Bechira, where we'll see where he he uh, uses a beautiful martial to capture the nature of the uh, the battle which people have in the, the the internal struggle they have with regards to uh, to choosing properly. All righty. thank you. Hey, okay, thank you, Rabbi. All right, all the best, everybody. Stay healthy, stay I safe, and don't forget Thursday night.